I want to invite you to have a seat. And as you're having a seat, I want to dismiss Hubtown Kids. Uh, this morning, they're going to be learning this lesson that God is loving. Uh, so as you see them exit, consider a time during this week that you could uh, uh, reach out to one of these children, maybe in your life group, maybe, uh, maybe just in your own family, and uh, ask them about what does it mean that God is loving. As they're being dismissed, I hope you're not distracted again. I hope that you hear this announcement again. This evening, we'll, we will be having another prayer night, and it's an incredible time for the church to to put all pretenses aside, to come and to gather together, and to ask God to do specific things that we need from Him. And one of those specific things, I'll allude to it again here later on in the sermon, but one of those specific things that we're asking God for is that He be with our brothers and sisters there in India, in Bangalore, particularly the Watson family. We think of them during this Lottie Moon Christmas offering season. And we're going to ask that God would uh, use us in great ways to be a provision for them, and also an encouragement, not just through resources, but just relationally. Uh, these are our brothers and sisters that need our encouragement, and tonight we're going to be showing a special video, as well as spending some uh, specific time praying for that family and the work that they're doing in Bangalore. And so make sure that you are, uh, you're here for that. We've been considering in this Advent season... 2023, where Abraham and Advent sort of intersect. The father of faith, Abraham, where does his life, the promises particularly that God gave to him, where does that intersect with Advent or the coming of Jesus? Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at this idea that the promises that God made to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, remembered at Christmas time or at Advent, are extraordinary promises. And it's so important that we think of them being as extraordinary because they are extraordinary. Last week, we looked at this idea that these extraordinary promises made to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, remembered at Advent, are not just extraordinary, but they're certain. And today, we're going to be looking at this idea that it involves descendants. Descendants. Abraham Advent intersecting there on this word, descendants. If you have your copy of God's word, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. Now, Genesis, again, it means beginnings, book of beginnings. And so if you grab that black hardback Bible in front of you, you can just open it right up to the beginning, to the first book. It's the book Genesis, and we're going to turn till you see the big number 17. If you're using that uh, pew Bible there, it's on page 14. Page 14. Right there at the top of page 14, next to the 17, we'll read the first eight verses. This is what the Word of God says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Let's pray. God, we pause now once more and we ask that you would bless the reading of your word in our ears. Father, we've considered this incredible, extraordinary covenant that is certain, the promises made. Father, help us to understand today how that applies to us, to your people, to your church, to these descendants. Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. One of my favorite characters in history was born in 1867 in Scotland. He was born to a poor family. His parents were Fergus and Downey. And they named him Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck. As a matter of fact, at the end of his life, he was the richest duck in all the world. He left Scotland in 1880 for the United States, and there he sought wealth for decades. There he found it, though, in Klondike in 1896. He was the uncle of Donald Duck, many of you are familiar, and the, great, uh, the granduncle of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I remember hearing this story. I remember imagining about Scrooge McDuck, and really this theme that was ever-present in so many stories about this long-lost uncle that nobody even knew about that was incredibly wealthy, and you don't even know about him until you get that letter in the mail that you have received a portion, sizable portion of the inheritance. I remember learning about this word inheritance, the magic that goes along with it, the wonder, what will I inherit? Well, maybe it'll be a deep appreciation for paternal humor, dad jokes. That's mostly what we inherit. Or maybe it's a receding hairline. More seriously, many of us will inherit heart disease and diabetes and a garage full of tools that you don't know how to use. Think about this word, inheritance. What do we inherit? Well, biologically, there's much that we inherit, and spiritually, unfortunately, we have also inherited a sin nature. We've inherited a rebellious heart like our father and our father's father before him. We've inherited a love for sin. And this inheritance, it has a challenging set of implications for all of us. And yet that's not the case when we look at the life of Abraham and what the scriptures say about those who are his true descendants. Not that we inherit this rebellious heart, but that we, in a sense, inherit a new heart. And we inherit the fulfillment of a myriad of promises made to our father Abraham, fulfilled in the person of Christ. The main idea for us this morning is this, it will be there on the screen, is that those who believe in Jesus Christ are descendants of Abraham through faith, and as such, they inherit the promises made to him. That sounds pretty good. 
No, he's not a rich uncle that has a mound of gold hidden somewhere and you'll get a small portion of it. Far greater than that, we are the inheritors of the promises made by God to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. As we walk through our time this morning, our text in this sermon, I really have two sub-points that support this main idea. The first is this, that the sons of Abraham are those who possess faith in Jesus Christ. The sons of Abraham are those who possess faith in Jesus Christ. And the second idea we'll look at toward the end of our time is that those who belong to Jesus Christ are are heirs of all that is promised. They're heirs of all that is promised. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17. He's visited him in Genesis 12, again in Genesis 15. But now in 17, he renews this promise, gives him further, more information, promises to be his God, to give him a people. And even at this point, having no children at all to speak of, save Ishmael. Abraham believes God. What does it say there in Romans chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8? It'll be on the screen, hopefully, for you. If you want to turn there, you can as well, but listen as I read it. Romans 9, verse 6, it says, But but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But... Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. We ask this question, who are the sons of Abraham? Who are Abraham's descendants? Well, Romans chapter 9 speaks to that. And there's so many observations that we could gather from those few verses here, but I want to give you two observations quickly. And these will not be on the screen, and you're welcome to write them down. I'll read them slowly. The first is this, that God's word has not failed, though sometimes it seems it has. That's really the context of Romans chapter 9. Verses 1 through 5, the the Apostle Paul is speaking, he's writing, and he's saying, many of you might be concerned that, that the Jews, the ones who have been promised the, the, these, these, uh, these, this covenant with God through Abraham, it doesn't seem as though they're really enjoying or inheriting those things right now. The Apostle Paul says, I really see that many of them are not even a part of the covenant. They've been cast aside, so to speak. And the Apostle says, I wish in part that I could really myself become a curse so that the people of God, the the Israelites, that they could be brought back in. And then in verse 6 he says, but I want you to know something. Even though not all Israel is seemingly a part of this covenant, he says God's word has, in fact, not failed. And so that's one thing we can gather from Romans chapter 9. Another thing that we can gather, and there's... So much here, there's so, so much depth to it, but we'll just skim the top quickly. We can also see that there are two Israels. Do you see that? In verse 6 it says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Verse 7 it says, Not all the children of Abraham are his offspring. 
So there's two types of offspring. There's two types of Israel. Some theologians have called these two Israels ethnic Israel and true Israel. Physical Israel, spiritual Israel. The reality is that some ethnic Jews are not true Israel. We see that in the second part of verse 6. In the second part of verse 8, we see that some ethnic Gentiles are now true Israel. And so there are many Jews who are not part of the people of God. They're not part of the true Israel. And there are many ethnic Gentiles who were historically not a part of the people of God, grafted in and now a part of true Israel. The word of God is very clear here. Galatians chapter 3 picks up this same idea, answering the question, who are Abraham's true descendants? Who is true Israel? In verses 5 through 9 of Galatians 3, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We read that last week. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who have faith. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Who are the sons of Abraham? Sons of Abraham are those who believe God. They are those who believe his promises. That's true, Israel. And really, that's the substance of what Paul's saying in Romans 9, here again in Galatians 3, that many ethnic Israelites, they've cut themselves off from God. They don't have any faith. They don't believe in the promises of God fulfilled in the person of Christ. And when they saw Abraham or Jesus unlike Abraham, they did not turn to him. They turned away from him. And so we see here, it's not about DNA. It's about faith. If you're a part of the people of God, you are a part of the people of faith. Abraham is the father of faith. And we may not look like him. We may not speak the same language as Father Abraham, who had many sons and daughters. But we certainly, if we are his sons, have the faith of that father. Now, you may be asking, where does this faith come from? Scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have been saved, those who have been saved are in fact saved through faith. And that this saving is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one could boast. We could add in there, it's not a result of works and it's also we see from Romans 9 and Galatians 3 that it's not a result of DNA either. It's a result of faith and that faith that has been given. We realize that faith is a gift from God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12. You'll remember as we worked our way through that great letter, when we got to chapter 12, we saw that Jesus is the one that we are to look to. And as we look to him, we realize that he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the starter and the finisher. He's the initiator and he's the completer of our faith. Faith, in fact, is a gift from God. And what does faith do? 
we were to look back from Galatians 3, back to Galatians 2, we would see that faith is what justifies. It's what justified Abraham, and certainly it is what justifies us today. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 say this, we ourselves, Paul speaking to the Jews there in Galatia, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Physically, he's saying, we are Jews. Ethnically, we are Jews and not Gentile sinners. You can put that in air quotes. He says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He says, but yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He's saying, we we know, even though we are ethnically Jews and not those terrible, wicked Gentiles, even we know that there's no way for us to follow the law and in some way, by being Jews, observing the law, somehow be justified, somehow be made right, somehow be brought into right relationship with God through our works. Paul's saying, you know experientially you've tried that and you've failed. And anybody here today that's ever tried to be perfect, ever tried to please God through your own works knows that it just doesn't ever end well, does it? And Paul's saying, you know it and I know it. He says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified. Faith is what justifies. Faith is a gift from God, and faith is what makes you a son of Abraham and a son of God. It's not obeying the law that saves. It's not keeping the 613. It's not keeping the 10 commandments. It's not being a good citizen of Hagerstown or Washington County. There's no law. There's no rule that can bring you into right relationship with God. Think about this. The scriptures tell us that Abraham never even heard the law of Moses. The scriptures tell us that the law of Moses, even the Ten Commandments, that this law did not come until 430 years after Abraham. 430 years later. And yet the scriptures say for us that Abraham was justified. You remember in Genesis 17, we read a moment ago, God shows up for the third time to Abraham and he says, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. That's simple enough. Imagine if God were to show up right now and speak to you and say, hey, I'm God, the creator of all things. I'm the sustainer of all things. I'm the holy one. And I am telling you, I'm demanding of you that you walk before me and be blameless. That you open up, that you allow me to see every part of you, the secret sins and thoughts of the heart. Let me see everything, and I want you to be blameless too. That's incredibly challenging. It's impossible. And yet, we understand in Genesis 15 that God counted Abraham as blameless. He counted him as righteous. Why? How? Well, he believed God, 
And God counted that to Abraham as righteousness. You see, it's faith that makes us right with God. Faith, belief, confidence. If we were to just take a moment and address everybody in the room, certainly in this place there are Christians. Here it is on the Lord's Day, the day that historically Christians gather together and they sing and they pray and they read scriptures, they hear a sermon. It's been happening for a long time, but I'm not surprised if there are Christians here, but I'm also not surprised if there's somebody here that says, you know, I'm, I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready to call myself a Christian. I'm interested in Christian things. Maybe you have a friend at work, or maybe you have a family member that invited you here today, and you want to hear a little bit more about this. And maybe you say, you know what? Those Christians have faith in Jesus, but I don't have any faith at all. And in some way, that may be true, but the reality is that regardless of who you are today, you have faith in something. Every one of us have faith. The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, what are you placing your, fl- your faith in? Where are you placing your confidence this morning? A true Christian doesn't place his confidence in himself. Doesn't place it in a building. Certainly doesn't place it in a preacher or stained glass. A preacher or a, a, a Christian places his faith in Jesus. And somebody who would call themselves an unbeliever, maybe even an atheist or an agnostic, is placing their faith in something. As we consider to walk through this text this morning, as we spend our time together this morning, I would encourage you to be considering, regardless of who you are this morning, what are you placing your faith in? Where does your confidence lie? Well, for Abraham... His faith is placed in God's promises. For Christians, descendants, true Israel of Abraham, we are placing our faith as well in Christ. And really this is the turning point or the shifting point of the text this morning or even of the sermon. Romans chapter 15, we've been there every week this month. Romans 15 verses 8 to 9, think of this text. Again, the Apostle Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Think of this. Christ became a servant. Why? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. We could say Jesus came At Christmas, he died and rose again at Easter. Why did he do that? He did that in order to fulfill the promises that God made to Abraham. That God made to Abraham. Why is this the turning point? Because Abraham's promise that God gave him is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled here. Very subtly, if you open the New Testament there to the very first verse in the entire New Testament, it starts off by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, he is the son of David, it says, the son of Abraham. The Gospel of Matthew wants us to know something very important about Jesus. First, that he is the son of David. He is the eternal king that will reign for all of time. 
and he is the son of Abraham. In other words, he is the fulfillment of Abraham. He and, and furthermore, he is the inheritant, the heritor of all of the promises given to Abraham. And so the sons of Abraham are those who, like Abraham, possess faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the second section of our sermon this morning, of our time together. Those who belong to Jesus Christ are heirs of all that is promised. Those who belong to Jesus Christ are heirs of all that is promised. When you say all, what do you mean? I'm speaking of those extraordinary promises. We'll look at a few of them in a moment. And not just are we heir of all of these extraordinary promises, but of these certain promises. You may be asking this morning, though, I believe that I, because my faith is like Abraham in Jesus Christ, that I now am an inheritor of all that is promised. But what does that actually mean? Does that mean that I get a little plaque uh, that says I get a plot of land in the, in the Holy Land? Maybe that makes you some sort of uh, you know, a lord or a lady there? Well, that's not the case. What is the case then? What does it mean? Well, to summarize it briefly, we'll say this. The promises include an enormous God, an enormous family, an enormous land, and an enormous blessing. The promises of God to his people include this. An enormous God, an enormous family, an enormous land, and an enormous blessing. We who are the children of Abraham receive the promises given to Abraham and this is what it includes. First, the enormous God. Think this morning of this idea that the God of all time and space, the creator and sustainer of all things, condescended and came unto his people and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Think of that. As we come into this Christmas season, I'm reminded that so many of us experience loneliness. There's probably not a one of us that hasn't had some sense of that. Many of us recognize you know, all too well that it's possible to be in a crowded room like this, but to still feel lonely. Maybe because you don't feel as though you are really known. Maybe you feel that what is known of you isn't really you. And in that way, you feel lonely because you think nobody truly knows you. And if they did really, really know you, know what was going on in your life, know what was going on in your heart, that they wouldn't want to be around you. That's why I love this statement that God makes to Abraham. He says, I want you to walk before me, and I want you to be blameless. And I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to be not just your God, but the God of all of your people, of all of your descendants. Church, we have an enormous God today that says that he wants to be our God. He wants to be with us. He wants to dwell among us, and he also knows us very, very well. It's one of the most challenging things about community. The deeper in that you go, the more people will know you. And we want to retreat, back away, build up walls, create facades, 
and our faces get tired of smiling because we're pretending to be somebody we're really not. And all of this we think is necessary. It's not necessary among the people of God and it is not necessary with God. This enormous God, this incredible God, this holy God is with us and he knows us already. Matter of fact, he knows us and he has chosen to justify us. It's not our works, it's not our hiding that makes us righteous. It's God's son that makes us righteous. We have a God who knows us and wants to be with us. That's incredible. That's extraordinary. And not only do we have this enormous God, but we have this enormous family also promised to Abraham. And I love it because remember, there in chapter 12 and in chapter 15 and chapter 17, the promised son that would be the, the key to all of these things hadn't even been born yet. And yet Abraham still believes that he's going to have this enormous pro, uh, or family, yes, enormous problem, but this enormous family still promised by God. And really what's so beautiful, we saw it in Romans and we saw it in Galatians, is that if, if you have faith in Jesus today, you are a part of that fulfilled promise that God made to Father Abraham so many years ago. You're part of that fulfillment. Hagerstown Church, we are part of that number and we are heirs of all the promises. And I, I love to look across the room here not, not that we are so diverse, but we do reflect the diversity ethnically here in Hagerstown. I love looking at our children, seeing the different hints of ethnicity, and recognizing that how we can be so diverse, but we are still one family in Christ. We're one family in God. Church, we are a part of that. From many nations, speaking different languages even. And in that way, we are the fulfillment of this. And so we can reflect on the promises that God has made and fulfilled just in the diversity of our people, but we can also see this, that in this promise that Abraham would be a great nation with many descendants, of which we are a part, there is also a call to go and to make new descendants. And I said that a little awkwardly, didn't I? And that's because we are called to go and make disciples. We are called to go and to reveal Jesus to those who are far from him, to those who are not a part of this family, and to expect and to anticipate that along with that picture of Christ given, that there will be faith also given. And that many will come into this family just as we have. We spent some time recently in India and there learned a little bit more about the caste system. And understood that there was no real way for somebody born, a, a man born in this lower caste to, to raise up and to enter into a better caste. Experience a better way of life, a better quality of life. Or even a different system of beliefs. It's impossible for him to go. It's impossible for him to change. He couldn't change his DNA and he can't change his caste. It's so beautiful that the gospel speaks to that and says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no Dalits or Brahmins. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. We are all in, we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you're a Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, it says in Galatians 3, heirs according to the promise. And I love the fact that so many Hindus and even Muslims at this, on this very day are, are turning from sin. They're turning from darkness. They've been given new hearts and they're placing their faith in Jesus alone, leaving that caste system behind. Tonight, we'll gather to pray for more descendants, to come into the faith, to come into the family, this enormous family. We're going to pray that that'll take place. And throughout the, the month of December, we've been gathering resources, collecting an offering to send directly to, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, directly to Bangalore to encourage the work that's going on there as Hindus turn to Jesus and place their faith in him. When you think of this incredible family, this enormous family that you have been brought into, realize this, that the inherited promise is also an inherited command to go and to send. The promise that we are inheritors of is also a command that we inherit, to go, to continue to be fruitful and to share this gospel. And so we have an enormous God, an enormous family, and we also have an enormous land. You think to the meta-narrative, the, the overarching storyline in history given to us in Scripture. We see that in the beginning we are cast out of the garden. Places that we're not able to tread upon any longer. A space that we have no right to be in, we are pushed out of. Once there, not now. And at that time, at the fall, there was a promise of a deliverer given. And it's assumed, and we can read into this text through these other passages, that he would be able to bring us back into the garden, this deliverer that would come. That covenant that God makes with Abraham is a partial fulfillment of that very thing. The promise is given that not only will the descendant, the offspring, the seed of the woman, now through the seed of Abraham, not only will it be a great, great people that brings blessings to all, but that he will possess a great land. When you zoom forward all the way into the New Testament, we see Jesus being tempted there. Do you remember Jesus in the wilderness? He's being tempted by Satan Jesus has certainly come to recapture land and to deliver his people and bring them back in a, into that presence of God, back into the garden. And what does Satan try to do with Jesus, the deliverer? He says, hey, let's, let's broker a deal here. I tell you what, if you disobey the Father, in exchange for that, I'll, I'll give you a sliver of what God has promised you. It'll be the easy way. I'll give you this uh, enormous piece of land, this expanse. I'll, I'll give that to you. And Jesus says, you'll not convince me to disobey my father in exchange for just a few acres of land, just a few square miles. You'll not convince me to do that. Jesus goes to the cross, completely obeying the father, lays his life down, takes it back up again, ascends to the Father, and before he does that, he says to his 
disciples. He says to the sons of Abraham, true Israel, the 12, he says, all authority has been given to me. He says, I have authority over everything now. I have the authority over this piece of land here and that piece of land over there. And all the promises of God that have to do with geography, that that have to do with land, Jesus says, they're fulfilled in me. Even the ones that say that there's not a place where you will walk that is not yours. As we think about this Christmas season, we think about as Christians, uh, those who believe in Jesus, who follow in the footsteps of Father Abraham with faith and confidence in him, we become heirs of those promises. And what are those promises? That every place that our soul steps is Christ's. He has authority over all things. Literally, in addition to Israel, in addition to Canaan land, every place where our soul steps is ours in Christ. In this Christmas season, what, what sort of confidence does that build for you? What sort of confidence does that give you today? And even comfort and boldness as we consider this Advent season. Remember this enormous land promise given to us through Christ. But finally, there is this enormous land, but there's also an enormous blessing. And really, we're summarizing the promises of God to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. There is this enormous blessing, though, and we know as we read the New Testament, as we read the Old Testament, that Christ is the one who brings that blessing. God, meeting there with Abraham, says, through you, through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And certainly that blessing is the blessing of salvation, the good news of the gospel there in Jesus Christ. We've considered that at length. But there's another part of that I want you to think about, this enormous blessing. Similar to this idea that we are to go and to share the gospel is this idea that as Christ rules in us and we receive that blessing that he gives to all families, all people groups, consider also this, that we in part are the fulfillment of that to this world. That just as Christ has been a blessing to us, we are to be a blessing to the world. We are to be a blessing to the world. Do you see yourself as a partial fulfillment of that promise that God made? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You should see yourself, Christian, a little bit in there. Abraham's seed, through that, all the families will be blessed. Again, primarily fulfilled in Jesus. He is that blessing. But additionally, those who are in Christ will also be a blessing. We have to envision ourselves in that way. Really, in a sense, that's in line, at least partially, with the cultural understanding of Christmas. We have a much deeper understanding that when we interact with those people in our home, we recognize that we are here to be a fulfillment of that promise, at least in part, of the blessing given to, or the promise of the blessing given to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, now demonstrated through us in our home. And not just in our home but in the businesses that you own and in the workplaces that you are employed in and in the neighborhoods that you live in. As you think about this idea that we are 
a fulfillment of this promise that Jesus would be a blessing to all the families and we, in part, fulfill that. This idea, this main idea that those who believe in Jesus Christ, they're descendants of Abraham through faith. Not by DNA, not by works, not by luck or chance, through faith. And as such, those who have faith in Jesus, they inherit the promises of God made to him. We're getting ready to respond in song. We've heard the gospel. We've been reminded of the promises given to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, given to us as well. And we're going to sing... Go spread the news of Emmanuel. There's a burden on us Christians, those who have inherited these promises, to spread the news of these promises to the world. The promise of Emmanuel, of joy and peace for the weary heart. We ourselves are to lift up our heads for our king has come. We're to sing for the light overwhelms the dark. I love this line here. Glory shining for all to see. Hope alive, let the gospel ring. God has made a way. He will have the praise. Tell the world his name is Jesus. We've inherited that command as well, to tell the world his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are challenged and encouraged by this truth. that you have made a way for us to be brought in, grafted in, adopted in to this family. Father, we recognize that apart from your grace, apart from the gospel, that we inherit sin and damnation. And yet in your mercy, you revealed Jesus to us. And you gave us faith to place in him. And so we just give you thanks for that. Father, would you help us to meditate and to consider in this Christmas season, a a season that's so loud and so distracting at times. Would you help us now to understand, to consider together and even alone What does it mean that these promises have been made to us? And what would it look like fulfilled in our lives? God, we thank you for this relationship that you have begun with us. Father, we thank you for the land that we have, the family that we're a part of, and the blessing that we are able to be. We pray that you'd continue to help us in this season and for the rest of our lives to be people who consider ourselves people of the promise and we see that we are a part of that fulfillment as Christ works through us. We thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for including us. Thank you for grafting us in. We pray in your name. Amen.